If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings 11. Last week, we looked at the life of King Solomon. We covered quite a bit of ground, and we remember that this is a man that's known for wisdom. He asked God for wisdom, and God blessed his socks off for asking for wisdom. He also gave him fame and wealth and all these things that the heart could desire. But the problem is, is our hearts were prone to wander, were prone to sin, and Solomon does not necessarily apply this wisdom, and he begins making poor decisions and he's not necessarily walking in God's ways anymore. And he starts accumulating gold and, and horses and wives. And if you remember, we talked about 700 wives plus 300 concubines. And you think, my word, this man's life was just morally decaying. And all that's going on and these wives and the gods that they serve, they're turning his heart from the Lord. And there's a moment where there's a rebuke that comes to Solomon and we finished with this last week. The rebuke to Solomon, the Lord was angry with him that his heart had turned away from God and toward idols. And he warned Solomon about these things, but Solomon did them anyways. And so in verse 11, the Bible says that since you did not keep my covenant and you've disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. Okay, And we're going to look at this Tearing and the divvying out of the kingdom today in this message that's entitled Organized Chaos. Somebody asked me last night, what are we talking about today? And I was going to say organized chaos, but out of me said, organized crime. <laughs> and we're not going to be focusing in on that, but we will be focusing in on organized chaos. Would you pray with me before we begin reading from our passage today? Father, we thank you for this time. As we gather around your word, I pray that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, settle our hearts to receive. And Lord, we thank you for the ministry that you are doing and you are about to do. We commit it to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Kings 11, as the kingdom is going to be torn from Solomon, it's going to be given partly to this man named Jeroboam, and that's where we're going to pick up here in verse 26 of chapter 11. The Bible says that another rebel leader was this man named Jeroboam, okay, and he was one of Solomon's own officials. Okay, and in verse 27, this is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding the supporting terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father David. And Jeroboam was a very capable young man. And when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. So Solomon gives this man responsibility in his kingdom. He's in charge of the labor force. Now we're just going to stop here for a second because I want to talk a little bit about Jeroboam. So he's the leader of the labor force, and one day a prophet comes to him and begins to speak into his life. And so Brian, would you be able to help me out right now? Brian's going to be Jeroboam, and I'm going to act as this prophet. And this prophet, remember that the kingdom's going to be torn from Solomon, right? And so this prophet stops Jeroboam and begins to speak to him and says that this kingdom is going to be torn. 
And uh, pardon me for maybe how lengthy this goes, but he ends up tearing this cloak into 12 separate pieces. I'll give you one. Dramatic. You know, prophets didn't just say stuff. They always had this, like, illustration, you know, whether they laid on their side for days at a time or they cooked their food over dung and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can read about it. It's in the Bible. So he's tearing this cloak to give. There you go. There's three. And I felt it was important to just take the time to do this so we understand the significance of this moment. I wonder if they were continuing to walk together. There's four. And there's a reason why we're doing this, because as we go through this message, these sheets will continue on in our story. Here's number five. Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> that must be Benjamin right there. There we go. Representing these tribes of Israel. That was number five or six? Who are you guys counting? That was five. What do you got? Six now? That counts as one. There we go. There's a small one. Make up for that other one. There you go. Where are we at? You guys counting? Eight. Nine. Here you go. Number ten. And ten. And to think, how many tribes were there? Twelve. So he hangs on to the one. Literally. <laughs> so one representing the tribe of Judah and the other one representing the Levites who did not have a territory, but they were priests and they served. So I'm going to hang on to these two. But feel free to uh, sit down, Brian, with those cloaks. Thank you for bearing with me on that, but that kind of puts you in the story, doesn't it? Okay. He tears the cloak and gives them to Jeroboam. And he says this in verse 31. He says, this is speaking on behalf of God. I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon. And I will give ten tribes to you. Okay? But I will leave one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Verse 34, he says, But I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who's obeyed my commands and decrees, I will keep Solomon as a leader for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten tribes to you. And his son will have one tribe, so the descendants of David will, or my servant, will continue to reign, shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. Because of Solomon's sin, 
I will punish the descendants of David. But then it says in verse 39, though not forever. Though not forever. So Jeroboam, now scared of Solomon because of what just went down and knowing that he's going to be threatening the throne, he decides to flee. Okay, And he's going to leave until Solomon passes away. But meanwhile, Solomon has a son by the name of Rehoboam, and he's going to become the new king. But in the midst of all of this, as Rehoboam becomes king, he's asked by the people in his kingdom, would you please lighten the labor load? Your dad threw a bunch of labor on us, and we're exhausted. Would you please lighten this load? And while we're at it, could you lighten taxes a little bit too? Okay? And so Rehoboam begins to discern, give me a few days, I'll think about this, and I'll get back to you. But he goes to some poor council, and he asks them, what do you think I should do? And they're like, oh, no, 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 don't give up on these people. Actually press into them further. And so his response to them is quite heavy, and he says, actually, I'm going to increase the labor load. I'm going to increase taxes. What a way to start out. How about that for a campaign speech? We're increasing your hours every week in which you will work, and taxes will go up, right? And you can imagine the stress and the frustration in the kingdom, and they all get upset. And they decide, we're actually going to get out of here. We're going to leave. And these people decide to flee and leave. And Rehoboam realizes that what he said was probably a mistake. And so then the guy who led the labor force, could you imagine how popular that guy was if they had heavy burdens on the labor force? Rehoboam sends him to go catch up with them and say, oh, you know what, let's figure this out. Let's redo this. Um, well, he gets killed. They don't like him. And so now you got all these people that have left Rehoboam, and Jeroboam arrives on the scene, and they decide, we want him to be our king. And so there you see the prophetic words fulfilled. Jeroboam now is king over ten tribes of the north, known as Israel, and Rehoboam is king of the southern kingdom, known as Judah. The kingdom has now split, and you see the prophetic words of God fulfilled and what is going on in history. So even in the midst of what's taking place, how many of you have ever heard our memory verse before, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. How many of you heard that verse before? How many of you believe that verse? Okay. And no matter what's going on in life, if I focus in on the Lord, if I trust Him, don't lean on my own understanding, God will help me. He'll make my path straight, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of things that are unknown. But listen, if you trust in anything other than the Lord, you're going to have problems. And these two kingdoms, both of them have opportunity to put their trust in the Lord. What do you think they do? It doesn't go well. Well, out of fear, Jeroboam, he doesn't want people going back to Jerusalem to worship because he's afraid that if they go back to Rehoboam, they'll want to then join Rehoboam. And so he says, you know what? We're going to build two golden calves and the people can worship here. 
as opposed to going back. So out of fear, he builds this so they don't leave, so he doesn't lose his people. Can you remember a moment where some, a golden calf was created for worship? And Jeroboam even says, these are the calves that brought you out of Egypt. What? God was the one who brought them out of Egypt. And you see this twisted worship. It's actually false worship. And there's even a moment where an unnamed prophet confronts Jeroboam at the altar because he set up these shrines with these pagan leaders in the shrines. And the prophet says this altar here is going to split and someday these pagan leaders are going to be burned on this altar. A pretty heavy judgment. And Jeroboam doesn't like it. And so it's like he points out the door and he says, get this man. Get, get him. Get him. And while he's extending his hand, pointing at this unnamed prophet, you know what happens? His hand becomes paralyzed. Now, I'm not going to preach like this for the rest of the you know, service. I think God's talking to you. right? But his hand's paralyzed and he's freaking out. What do I do? And so he begs that something would take place and the prophet prays for healing and his hand is released and he's able to move his hand again. Now if you had a moment like that, would that wake you up? I would hope so. But it doesn't. The false worship continues. And they begin to just slide down this moral decay. False worship. The shrines, these Asherah poles, these high places... And then there's a certain point where Jeroboam's son gets sick. And remember that prophet that tore those pieces of the cloak? Jeroboam tells his wife, hey, dress up so that he doesn't recognize you and go ask him for some help. And like right when she walks in the door, the Lord had warned him that Jeroboam's wife was coming to speak with him. So he just calls her out, hey, Jeroboam's wife, What do you want from me? So much for the disguise. But she's like, my son is sick. We need help. And this same prophet that tore that and handed it to Jeroboam says, by the way, this is actually happening to you now. You're going to lose the kingdom. And it's going to be given to somebody else. So that ten pieces of cloth we're going to transfer to another family. We're going to give it over here to Joe. Are you related to Brian? No. I have to ask that. You know, you never know. New family. That's important. There's a reason why I'm saying new family. So the kingdom's going to be removed from Jeroboam. Oh, and by the way, your son's going to die just on top of that. And in fact, your entire family line's going to be wiped out. That's what's coming because of your sinful decisions. And meanwhile, Rehoboam, he's making poor choices, and the people in the nation of Judah are making terrible decisions. The people are doing evil. There is more and more chaos, this moral decay, and there's even a point where they start having conflicts with each other. And there's war with each other. Constant war, actually, is what the Bible says in several places. But in chapter 12, one of the things the Lord says to them is, don't fight against your relatives. But yet there's this constant battle, this constant conflict that's taking place. And you see them begin to spiral. And these two kingdoms 
over time they get new leaders. And I want to walk you through each of these kings very briefly. But you have Jeroboam and you have Rehoboam. And I hope this guide helps. There's also an insert in your bulletin if you want to go further with this. But these two men are king for almost 20 years each. One of them, 22 years. Rehoboam, 17 years. And eventually the kingdom goes to Nadab, which is Jeroboam's son. And he's a king for only two years. And then he's assassinated. His life is taken by a new king named Basha. Now, Joe, we're going to transfer to another family. Here you go, Brian. Are you related to any of these two? No. Okay. New family. Okay. And now it's Basha and his dynasty. And one of the first things he does when he takes power is he wipes out the entire family line of the previous guy. They don't want anybody to come back and try to take that throne over again. You can see how twisted this is. But for 24 years, he rules. And guess what? A prophet comes to that man because he is wicked. And he tells him the same thing he told Jeroboam. The kingdom's going to be taken from you because of your poor decisions. Well, he has a son. His name is Elah. And he reigns for two years. But then guess what? He's assassinated. And we have a new family. Are you related to any of these guys, Roger? Okay. It's on to a guy named Zimri. But wait. Seven days. That's all he's king. Seven days. And he actually, the one that assassinated the previous king, they realized the treason that that was and and the conflict that was. And when the commander of the army, his name's Omri, when he comes back and they find this out, they go and they hunt this guy down and he realizes he is caught and there's nothing he can do about it. So he burns down the citadel of the Passel and takes his own life. So he dies of suicide. And now the kingdom is in a new set of hands. Are you related to any of these people, Charles? No. no. We now have Omri... And he's the new king of the north. And he reigns for 12 years, and then he has a son by the name of Ahab. And Ahab is evil, evil, evil. A wicked king. We'll get into him more a little bit later. But recognizing that the dynasty has shifted several times, hasn't it? Now you understand the reason for the cloak to be able to present that illustration. Why do we wipe out the families? Because you don't want them to come and take power. You've taken over. And that's important because for the nation of Judah, there was no change in the family line. You have Rehoboam, and he reigns for 17 years, and he really wasn't a good king. And then he has a son, Abijam, and he reigns for three years, and he committed the same sins of his father, it says. And then he has a son, King Asa, and he reigns for 41 years, and he actually gets a good mark. So I've underlined King Asa. He was a good man. 41 years to have a king like that reigning. That was good for the nation of Judah. But then his son, Jehoshaphat, takes over. And he had some good things, but also a little bit towards the end, not so good things. So I only underlined 
part of his name, but not the end. But you see what's going on. These men that are trying to lead, some are leading well, and some are not. You can see the chaos. You can see the decay. You can see the turmoil. And this is my major point with today's message. And I sure hope this is encouraging to all of us. Even in the midst of everything that's going on, the transfer of power from one dynasty to the next, there's organized chaos. There's organized chaos. 1 Kings 15, verse 4, the Bible says that for David's sake, the Lord is going to allow His descendants to continue to rule. And you see in the nation of Judah, His descendants continue. There is no assassination and change of the family line. Do you know why that's important? Why is it important that that family line is not broken? Any guesses? Because of Jesus Christ, the King of kings. And in 2 Samuel 7, when God promises to David that his kingdom will reign forever, listen to what he says. He says, furthermore, the Lord declares that he'll make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and you're buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. And he is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. He's talking about Solomon. And I will secure his royal throne forever. He's making a promise to David. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to give you just a little dose of truth. God is a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. He's faithful. He says, I'll be his father. He'll be my son. If he sins, I'll correct and discipline him like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from King Saul. He says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. For all time. And your throne will be secured Forever. So even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of a kingdom that's got change and change and change, we have a kingdom that God has established that is firmly planted forever and it does not change families and it will not change families because the King of Kings is coming through that line of Judah. And Jesus will fulfill that promise. And I love this verse Let's hold this one up today, but Colossians chapter 1. This is powerful. Jesus, for by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And listen to this, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Even if the kings are making bad decisions, there is organized chaos because Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together what a comfort to know that God is still at work even in the midst of chaos let's make this personal okay we walk through these kings and all the things that are going on But how many of you can maybe sit right now and think there's maybe a little chaos going on in my own life? There's things that are 
maybe in turmoil. I mean, you look at the moral decay, you look at the constant war. Now, you can look at that around in our culture, can't you? The moral decay. We live in a culture that can't even define what a woman is. And God's laid it out, made it very clear. I've created them male and female. But there's decay, there's all this stuff going on culturally, but it, it trickles down even into our homes. Maybe there's things that are going on, there's chaos, there's turmoil, and maybe it's even personally. Maybe you're in the midst of a backslide and there's decisions that you're making right now that you know God is not pleased with. Or maybe you're at constant war inside. There's something in your spirit that you just lack peace. Perhaps there's division. Or we do things our own way. Or there's false worship. And I just want to say this with great clarity today. God is still on His throne. So no matter what we're walking through, whether it was at the time of the kings or it's right here and right now, God is still on His throne. He has been. He will continue to be. When everything feels like it's falling apart, Jesus is the one who holds all things together. And I just think it's interesting that are two tribes that are left. Judah and the Levites. Okay? Jesus is going to fulfill with both of these. He is our high priest that will go into the most holy place and take care of the issue of sin. And He is that King that comes through the line of Judah that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it helps me to know this, and it's a promise that comes from Romans 8.28, guys. And we know that in all things, in everything, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I said earlier, God is a promise keeper. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that? God is good. He's gracious. He is at work even in the midst of the chaos of our lives. And one of the greatest things that He would desire in the midst of the chaos is that people would just take a moment to focus on Him and acknowledge Him. He wants to make our paths straight even in chaos. God desires that for us. So I encourage you as you lean in and you ask, Lord, so what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to speak into my life? And I'll tell you right now, He wants to take the chaos. He wants you to take that to the cross. Surrender it to Him. And say, Lord, I need you to help make sense of all of this. I need your help. I'm going to stand on your promises. I believe you're faithful. He is faithful. Just so that we all just Get that point today. Just repeat after me. God is faithful. He's faithful. And as He's faithful in that moment with the kings and preserving His line, 
He's faithful today. He is faithful today. You can trust Him with your life, with your plans, with every area and aspect of life. You can trust Him. He knows best. You can trust Him. But to trust God, it takes faith. And so we lean in by grace through faith into what God would want to do. Would you pray with me as we close this message? Father, I'm so thankful that you are faithful. Even when we're not. Even when we fall short. And Lord, I know that you desire to work in each of our hearts, each of our lives. Making our paths straight in the midst of chaos. Lord, forgive us where we fall short. And give us the grace to navigate life through the power of your Spirit. Help us to trust you with our plans, with our cares and concerns, with our circumstances that we're walking through. Lord, we know that you are good and that you are faithful. And so we cling to your promises as we walk out this faith journey. And Lord, if there's somebody listening right now that you, you've been prompting in their heart, you want to be made a priority in their life. If there's someone listening that desires to make sure that they're right with the Lord by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I encourage you to pray with me right now. Pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus... I want to make you the king of my life. Please take the throne of my heart. Please forgive me of my sin. Guide me and lead me in this new life in your kingdom. Help me to live in the power of your spirit. And today I receive this gift of salvation by grace through faith. We thank you, Lord, for this precious gift that was preserved through history and is encountering somebody's life right here and right now. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful and thankful for your faithfulness then and your faithfulness now. In Jesus' name, amen.